Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, PK. PK, how are you doing tonight? Absolutely fabulous. It's just such a lovely day. Hot, but feels good. Feels good for a change. Well, I'm glad that you are alive and well in Tucson, and we are a little on the chilly side here in Massachusetts, I must say. (laughs) What could I send you some heat? <laughs> Please, we need a little heat. It's gotten kind of weird. It's been extreme, as it has been everywhere. So, anyways, but I'm glad you're doing well. I'm doing well. We have a terrific show tonight. We have remote viewing expert Lori Lambert-Williams, and we're going to dig deep into this whole topic because our audience has been asking for us to bring another remote, remote viewer on, and Lori is here with us. But before we introduce Lori, we want to know, PK, what in the heck is going on now? We're into August. Well, so. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a pain in the butt because <laughs> I have to tell you, this month is a review of last year, and it deals with the four universal month, which deals with health, details, hard work, putting things together, and. The most important part is it's only for the month. Then we can get out of it. But it's really important for everybody. Do take some deep breaths throughout the month. It's really going to be very important. If you can get, it'll kind of loosen you up a little bit. It's almost like you've been carrying this backpack on your back. And the the year is all about change, but this month is about the details of things. Time when you have to make some sacrifices to get things going so that they work better or to your better, but at the end, there's opportunities for benefits definitely taking place, but no important changes can be made during this time that are going to be successful. So it's a time to let go of what doesn't work. Take a look at the details of things, because if you do, reviewing last year's issues where we kind of stumbled a bit, pick up the bag right there and go forward with it and see what you can make some of these changes that will be actually to our betterment. The opportunity to work with your health is very important, but don't hold your breath. Instead, take these deep breath exercises to enhance your day. You're going to find that timing is going to be everything in and about work, work-related issues, building a strong foundation. That's going to be very important. And I know you're going to feel bored because it's, you know, the mandate, but it's necessary. If you're concerned about the economical way of putting things together and your ideas for your long-range plans, if you put this together now, when next month gets here, it will be certainly a little bit more on the heavenly side. 
but you got to pay your dues this month. Think back to all that was going on last year. Unfortunately, there's too many things that we remember that we don't want to deal with, but clean up what is there, fix it, make it go forward. Build this strong foundation, and you're going to really find you're going to gain a lot out of it. Financially, we're going to feel broke. I don't care how much money we've got. Every time we go to look for something, it's going to pop up showing that we are more in debt or more in need to put something together. So kind of hold tight. Don't be flamboyant about what you've got going. Instead, hold it to the chest, slow and easy. We'll get through this month, and next month's going to be wonderful. Yay, finally, huh? Yeah, well, remember last year it dealt with everybody's health issues. Isn't that when we had all this major, we'll say, pandemic come about? And we're able to put some of this in order this month. After October, we'll find that there's going to be a lot of major changes. But if you just think that August, September, and October, August reviews last year, September will review this year, October will preview next year. So you've got a place to go and things to think about and at least opportunity to see where you want to make some shifts and changes. Now, didn't you also share that this is a year of change? Oh, God, yes. The whole year is about major changes. So the whole year is, no matter what month we're in. And this month is a four-month, which is about the details of things. It is reviewing last year's ideas and thoughts. And any time we deal with the four, it, it, our health issues are very much, uh, we're very much aware of those. But also, I don't care whether you've got 50 cents in your pocket or $50,000, you're going to feel broke. Mm-hmm. It just takes every penny that we have to keep things going. Four year is down and dirty. It's you know, there aren't any there aren't any nice little promises that go with it. Except work hard. When you get out of it, you're going to feel great. Well, good, but I can understand what you're saying also about feeling broke because look at the prices of everything, the grocery oh store God, prices, yes. the gas prices. It's it's going to get worse from what we're told, it, and I think it will. We have get... all those cargo ships out in the ocean that aren't being allowed to dock and unload. It's going to create quite a crisis. It already has started, so it, it makes already sense is. what you're saying. They can't even find truckers to bring the stuff from the ports. Everything is tied up in one form or another. And this business of being angered at who's doing what, people are going to have to work together to make things fit. And everything is going up. It's almost like a daily event. What was yesterday is about the same today. And we know darn well it's not going to be that way tomorrow. It's going to be more of a problem. Right. Well, we've got to keep an eye on that. No, what's coming in September's better, let's hope, let's hope. So. Uh, September will be better because we're going to Good. deal with some major changes, and it does have a luck factor to it. This month, down, dirty, nose to the grindstone. That's the only way we're going to get through this one. And that's why taking these deep breaths are very, very important because you're going to find if it, you're going to have a stiffness from the back, base of the neck, down the spine. If, you, if somebody thumps you, you feel like you're going to break like glass. It's just yes. the tension. Everybody is so tense right now because we can't trust anything. And the people we're listening to, I don't care what station or what type or what party, it all sucks. They don't. <laughs> nobody seems to know what they're doing. Really? It's a challenge. Yeah, it really is. Yes. 
Yes. Well, and I did want to share with everybody to go back to the Grabavoy numbers, 520. You know, of all the numbers that we've given out, I can report personally, and other people in the audience have reported to us that that set of numbers, 520, is, again, unexpected money is what it calls to you. And once and again, I, that happened for me, and I was absolutely surprised, something completely out of the blue, exactly what that number is about. I mean, those set of numbers, 520. So I just want to remind everybody, take that number set, 520, put it in your wallet, put it under your pillow, meditate on it, really get with that vibration because, uh, as PK is what you're saying, with feeling broke, 520 can bring that unexpected money right to your door. So don't forget to use that number. That's a good number set to use. I agree with you. Not only that, if you break the numbers down, the five deals with luck factors and things coming. Five is the number of a gambler and a risk taker. So by all means, take a look at it. The two is in a partnership, but the two together is a seven. Teach, learn, and go forward. What better way than carry it in your pocketbook? That's learning how to do and have faith because it is ends up being a seven, which is a number of major faith. And there you so have you it. So you chose darling. <laughs> yeah, so, so use that number, everybody, throughout the whole month, throughout the year. You'll be pleasantly surprised by what comes to you. It's, it's really exciting. A lot of people have reported money in their bank account they didn't think was there, and I can tell you that I've received money that I just did not expect. Totally random. Oh, my goodness. So I want to make sure to share that with all of you so that you can enrich yourselves in your lives and feel like you've got some support here from the universe. So, also, I wanted to say I, thank you. I'm correct. You don't. <laughs> yeah. so you can surprise me. <laughs> well, I also wanted to say thank you to everybody who contributed to us being chosen for the list of 80 paranormal podcasts that you have to follow. We are on that list. So that's so exciting. And, again, thank you, everybody, that contributed to that. I don't know how they came up with this list, but it's just an honor to be on this list. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I I had a laugh because one of the comments, they called us the golden girls of the paranormal I think they uh-huh. meant it as an insult, but I took it as a compliment. So, <laughs> oh, I don't think it's an insult. Golden is where the truth is. That's where the money is. My gold <laughs> is a little silver. You've got golden hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, that that was really exciting to see that we were wonderful uh, named really nice. to be on that list. It was quite an honor. So, thank you, everybody. And so let's go to what we're going to be talking about tonight, one of our most popular topics ever, which is remote viewing. And tonight we have expert Lori Lambert-Williams. Now, I'm going to have to cut Lori's um, resume in half because it's so long, but it's very exciting. So I'm going to jump into the middle of it because, as you guys know, we had Lynn Buchanan on, and guess who Lori studied with? Lynn, among many others. So... In 1999, Lori met the first remote viewer to be inducted into the military's then-fledgling psychic spy unit, Melvin Riley. Now, Mel and Lori became good friends, and she has been blessed to have his additional mentoring throughout her life. 
Now, over the years, Lori has spent countless hours honing her remote viewing skills through practice sessions with provable feedback, complete with written summaries and recorded data sheets. Now, in those early years, 96 to 2001, she drove 12 hours round trip on many weekends to assist and learn from Lynn Buchanan as he taught various remote viewing workshops. In 2001, Lori became the first certified civilian controlled remote viewing instructor and has been teaching on average of one to five three-day workshops on a monthly basis ever since. Now, she has taught remote viewing in Canada, Ireland, Russia, Europe, and all over the United States, and we're very, very honored to have Lori with us tonight. So, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. It's so great to be uh, to be on the show. I'm really honored that you asked me to do this. I, I had never heard of this podcast until I looked it up, and it's really a very popular podcast. Congratulations. Well, thank you, and we're thrilled to have you with us because we have so much to learn from you about remote viewing. Now, how in the world did you get into this? Well, it's, it was kind of a, a strange story, but my whole life I had been having precognitive dreams and just the, the clairsentience of just knowing stuff, you know, when it was happening without having any way of knowing it, um, seeing ghosts, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought that everybody was like that. You know, when you're a kid, you just assume, doesn't everybody yep. have these experiences? But then um, when I read a book back in 19... 19- 95 or 96, I read a book and discovered that not everybody does have these experiences. In fact, the average person has about one verifiable psychic experience per lifetime. So I thought, wow, if that's normal, yeah, I thought if that's normal, then then I'm kind of freaky. But but it was really interesting because uh, when I was 14, I met the Jesus people in a park. And I ended up becoming a missionary. I ended up traveling all over the world and, uh, you know, becoming a missionary. I got into this group very young, right after I turned 14. And, and, um, but the whole time I was in this group, paranormal things continued to happen. So I couldn't write them off as being, you know, of the devil or something evil because here I was. I was out there serving the Lord and it was still happening, you know, so... I came to the conclusion that these things must be a part of our humanity, a part of who we are as people. Nothing evil or sinister any more than your eyesight or your hearing is evil or sinister. So because of that experience, I was really searching for something that would kind of explain how is it that we have these abilities? Like we must be so much more than we think we are. You know, we we humans must have these amazing abilities that are just latent within us. And maybe our society or our culture, we tend to fear that which we don't know. So maybe it's just been suppressed in us. So I started going on this search. And I've always been very fortunate in that anything I put out to the universe, it seems that the universe really does respond and, and has helped me amazingly. And so as I put these things out to the universe, like, I need to understand this. I want to reconcile belief systems with experiences. 
And so as I was doing this and seeking and reading everything I could get my hands on, I got a new job running a refugee resettlement program in Amarillo, Texas. And they sent me to go to Denver to attend a conference. And there was a man at the conference who gave fascinating talks on post-traumatic stress disorder and psychology and really just really interesting conversations and, and talks. And I dreamt about him that night. And the next day I arrived early and he was there and I was like, I dreamt about you last night. And he was a total stranger. And uh, I, my mom had always teased me and said, you know, if you want a man to remember you, tell him you had a dream about him. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so I was like, I had a Whatever. dream about you. And so he asked me about the dream. And in this dream, I had um, been telling this man, this stranger, that I had just met my very first colonel ever in the U.S. military. And, um, and so when I'm telling him about the dream, he had just retired as a colonel. And so he's like, well, what, what branch of the military is this colonel that you, that you, you just met in? And I said, um, I don't know. He's, he, I think he might be in military intelligence. And he said, oh, that's interesting. I was in military intelligence. And right as he said that, the cover of Dave Morehouse's Psychic Warrior popped in my head. And I hadn't even bought the book. I couldn't even remember the name of the book. It had just come out. It was on the new arrival shelf at the bookstore. And I was like, have you seen that new book? <laughs> He's like, what new book? And I said, I don't know. It's turquoise and black on the cover, and it has something to do with psychics in the military. And he said, are you talking about Psychic Warrior? And I said, yes, that's the book. And he said, I can't believe you're asking me about that book because I was the psychologist in charge of vetting the men that came into the unit for 20 years. Oh, and my. So I was, and then, you know, then he was suddenly had his, the whole look on his face shifted and he became very interested. And he started, like, leaning into my face. I'm saying, wow, do you um, have like a photographic memory for numbers? Do you remember maps easily? Can you sketch? Are you like an artist? And he's like asking me all these questions, and I'm like backing away, <laughs> back away slowly. And so I'm just kind of yeah. trying to get away from the guy. He kind of made me nervous. And, um, and then he said he realized that I was getting away, so he just said, hey, when you, when you get home, look up controlled remote viewing. And so the Internet back then was still kind of new. But as soon as I got home, I got on the Internet and looked it up, and Lynn Buchanan's website came up, and the front page just said in big letters, what is CRV? And so I start reading about controlled remote viewing, and he explains it like just another sense that we have, like seeing or hearing or smelling, and more, it's part of being human. And I just loved that explanation. It sort of rang a bell within me, and I just went, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. So I, with great trepidation, wrote him an, uh, an email and said, do you think I could learn this? You know, do, and I kind of gave a little bit of my background. And I, I, the reason I, I questioned whether I could learn it was because I had a missionary background. And he did say that sometimes people who were like ultra-religious had trouble learning it because they worried that it was maybe would displease God or, you know, in some way be right. evil. So well, didn't I, Lynn I also like, have a very religious upbringing? And he, he did. Had, he did. He had a struggle with that he, himself. Yeah. He did. He was raised as a Baptist, and then he became a Methodist minister at one point mm -hmm. in his life as well. And so, yeah, he did. And um, and so he was the perfect teacher for me to find because of his background. 
he was able to very gently guide me and, and help me overcome some of my trepidation about things because I was very fearful back then in many ways. I mean, I've always been one of these people who goes in where angel spirit of tread sort of thing. But I did have a lot of fear about displeasing God, you know, getting demon-possessed. Yeah. And things, things that now I, I consider humorous then were very real to me. But CRV has freed me from that, that grip of fear of displeasing God. And it's given me a whole new perspective on spirituality and on God and the universe and, and all that. My God box had to grow a much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's been, I mean, because of the experiences I've had in some of my remote viewing sessions, I, I had to come to acknowledge that there's a lot more to the universe. Uh, there's a lot more to reality than I had ever dreamed of. Time is not what I ever thought it was. Um, that there are multiple dimensions and multiple realities and multiple universes. Um, you know, so everything kind of really shifted for me in many ways. But it didn't happen overnight, thankfully. I, I think, you know, it's kind of like newborn babies. They don't come out real stinky. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? They come out yeah. really sweet. And it's not until yeah. they get a little older that they get real stinky. <laughs> right. That's kind of how well, I think Well, I mean, God you're talking about this, again, in a way that it feels comfortable to us because that's how we feel, too, that paranormal is normal. And it's about time people started accepting that. But what I like about what you're saying is I think you brought both the left brain and the right brain together in what you do as a remote viewer. So, I mean, you do data sheets, you do all kinds of things that also uh, produce evidence of what you've just seen. and, And it's wonderful that you can bring it together like that. It becomes much more real that way. I, I agree because when it's based in brain science, really, I mean, it's an p- interplay between left and right brain functions and between conscious and subconscious mind and developing a friendship and a partnership between your conscious and your subconscious. Because if you really think about it, probably 99% of the planet, they don't have that connection. They don't really connect with the subconscious mind. The adults. The children are just purely subconscious. But adults on the planet just don't make that connection. I mean, we, we know that we have dreams sometimes that are weird or or sometimes, you know, you might hear the phone ring and think, oh, that's going to be Sarah, you know, and it automatically you pick up the phone and it is Sarah or whatever. You know, you just have these knowings or little flashes. But one thing that fascinated me was the idea that this was something you could do under any circumstances. And so if you think about it, um, what if you could control the things that have been spontaneous or uncontrolled, you know, that just happen whenever? What if you could control your intuition and get answers on demand when you need them? How would that affect your finances? You guys were just talking about finances. How would that affect your relationships? How would that affect your career? You know, overall, how would that affect your life? You know, when you have the ability to get information that is needed on demand, especially when it's information that can't be gotten through any other normal means, you know, through looking it up on Google or making a phone call or whatever. Or if it's a matter of um, life and death, like a missing person or something like that. I mean, then it becomes even more critical to access information as quickly as you can through remote viewing. 
That is so true. I mean, it is very critical. And that's why, you know, someone just wrote me the other day and said, you mentioned in one of your videos that um, CRV is the survival skill of the future. And I said, yeah, and guess what? The future's here. <laughs> it's now. Yes, it's true. Because with everything that, that we have going on in the world today, I mean, we, have, we are living in unprecedented times. I don't think humans on the planet have ever experienced anything like what we're going through right now. And so, because we have this weird amalgamation of things, you know, the, the technology that, that we have available to us combined with the climate change um, and combined with, you know, all the disasters that are happening, combined with this uh, pandemic and all the different things going on. And I think it's also combined with a really renewed increase of, of interest in all things paranormal and our mm-hmm. abilities as humans, you know, to do so many things, to, you know, mediumship and psychic ability is, I mean, all the TV shows and movies now, uh, you know, so many of them ha- are dealing with that. You know, they're fantasies, but are they fantasies? You know, to some degree they're all fantasies, but there's a huge interest in it. Well, there is, and for good reason, I think, too. There, because there is so much going on under the surface, and because people are also feeling so lied to on, in so many ways that they're looking for answers outside of the traditional institutions they no longer trust. So... That is so true. And the, but, but you know what, what kind of concerns me, Patricia, is people, if for a lot of people it's either this or that, there's nothing in between. So I either believe everything on the news, the major mainstream news, or I believe everything that's coming across in videos on YouTube. But really, in, in my mind, I don't necessarily want to buy into either one of those. But... Um, if you don't, then what should you do is if you have the ability and the training to get answers, what if you got those answers without being tainted by all these other influences, you know, by all these persuasive things that are trying to get you to believe one thing or another? And it's on both sides of the table. That's the thing. I talk to people and they tend to believe either everything mainstream or nothing mainstream, but everything and everything and anything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll say, "Oh, I just heard this video by this doctor on YouTube, and he said blah 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 blah." And then you check it out, and the guy's not even a doctor. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so and so I'm I'm like, okay, I think that what we have to do, and I, you know, with the premise of controlled remote viewing, one of the things we really try to do is keep the viewer unpolluted. So if I were going to give you a target, Patricia, if I decided let's let's have, let's see how Patricia does with the remote viewing target, I'm going to choose a target for Patricia, but I'm not going to tell her what that target is. I'll just assign it a number, and if I give her any information, it will be very very vague, generic information. Like let's say I wanted you to describe the location of a missing child who'd been kidnapped this afternoon. And I wouldn't give that to a, a brand new person. I would only give that to a very experienced, advanced remote viewer. But let's say that was your target. If I told you a child's been kidnapped and I want you to describe the child's condition and the child's location, well, the very word kidnap would freak you out right off the bat. Child kidnapped? Ah! You know, so right away, you know, you would yeah, have to Yeah, there's got to be an emotional movement. charge to that. Exactly, which is going to really generate your imagination to fire up and 
show all kinds of images in your mind that are coming from the imagination, not from your psychic ability. So instead, if I just say, hey, Patricia, I have a target I'd like you to view. The target is a location. Describe the location. And that's all you know. But I, meanwhile, somewhere else I have written down my exact desire that the target is the location of Cindy Watson who disappeared this afternoon at 2 p.m. when a man was seen grabbing her and throwing in, her into the back of his car, you know, at the corner of Washington and 10th in Sarasota, Florida, you know, something like that. Um, I just made all that up, by the way. But, you know, if, I, <laughs> if, if there was something like that, because, um, uh, you know, inevitably somebody's going to call me and go, oh, my God, have you knew about Cindy Watson and Sarah? <laughs> right. <laughs> or we That's found her. Capability yeah, but, um, but anyway, so when, you know, if we have something like that, emotions can shut down a remote viewing session faster than anything, really strong emotions. So we don't want you being all emotional when you start your session. Instead, we want to keep you as unpolluted as possible. And so I would just give you something very generic when I, if I told you anything at all, and it would be something like, you know, the target is the, a location. Describe the target. And then you would just simply sit down and go through the process, which is a step-by-step, easy-to-learn process. People try to make it a lot harder than it is because they think, oh, my gosh, I have to be psychic to do this. I'm not psychic. How am I going to be able to do this? But it's really just a mental process, and everybody's psychic. And if they just follow the steps, it's amazing how accurate people come out. And they're That's like, great. That's I mean, all there is I did, to it? I, I did do some kind of a course with, uh, that was online with Lynn. And, but I'll tell you honestly, my issue was it was hard for me to follow the steps. It's easy for me to go off into the psychic aspect of things, but following the steps I found very challenging and not having somebody to work with on it. So that's the other part that I found uh, daunting. But I'm glad to know that so many people are having success with this. And now as you did mention the kidnapping, and we were talking about that before we went live tonight. You were involved in tracking a kidnapping. What was that like? It was really a fascinating experience. Um, it was also heartbreaking in many ways because what, it was in a foreign country, and we found that in a lot of foreign countries when we're dealing with kidnapping, you can't trust the police, and the police are often in on it or they're paid off or whatever. You know, So many times a family of a kidnapped victim will hire their own team and have their own investigative team to uh, to investigate so my thinking in the particular case that we worked on is that someone on the investigative team was uh was warning the who somebody you know was in on it was somehow involved with the kidnappers and was warning them because literally we give them information they'd get there like minutes after everybody had run off and they would find evidence that they were there but uh you know and that happened repeatedly over a period of months. So they obviously had a mole, I guess you'd call it, in their investigative team. But what was fascinating about it was um, that we were using, I was using some really advanced um, remote viewing techniques that you learn in, in the more advanced courses. And I connected at one point with one of the guards that was guarding not just this one prisoner, but was guarding a bunch of prisoners in uh, you know in an underground place that was kind of like a bunker that had a hallway 
with rooms off to both sides. And, um, and so I asked the guard, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you kidnapping all these people? And in an instant, I understood their complete ideology. And then he gave me the name. Now, we're, we're pretty uh, – one of the things we, we teach to help people set aside their imagination is to start out by setting aside nouns because we're also dependent upon nouns. And, you know, the left brain, which is not the psychic part of your brain, comes up with naming things. The ability to name things is really a key to our survival. You know, if you suddenly have a threat and you can go, oh, my God, a saber-toothed tiger is about to eat me, then you save your life, right? Because you, you can name it and you can run from it. But if you can't, if you can't name or label things, then you're in more danger. Well, CRV makes you shift to the right brain, where, which describes rather than identifies. And so often we jump to conclusions about things, and we are naming instead of describing. So when we're working on a kidnapping case, I'm always suspect. I'm always very, I find anything that names something suspect. But in this particular instance, I was combining CRV, controlled remote viewing, with a technique called extended remote viewing. And in extended remote viewing, you get into a sort of hypnagogic state. And I had kind of slipped into the state just naturally while doing CRV. And um, instantly this guy gave me the name of the group that had done the kidnapping. And I wrote it down. It was in a foreign language. And I wrote it down. It turned out that that was the group, that, that the investigators had never even heard of the group, but they found out that that group indeed did exist in the area where this person was kidnapped, and that was they were the the group that had kidnapped the person. Oh, so exciting! Now, what, I, was this a child trafficking ring, or what was this? No, no. This the person that was kidnapped in this case was an older man, a very wealthy older man. Um, so, you know, and, then, and of course there was a desire for ransom and that sort of thing. Um, and so, in a lot of countries, that's that's where a lot of the kidnappings happen is older or, um, you know, people who can't put up a big fight but who have a lot of money and mm-hmm. whose family would pay a lot to get them back. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating thing. Another thing that happened while I was doing that remote viewing was that the, um, the guard, who was a really very – I found this person to be really kind and really nice person who really believed in the – in the, you know, kind of like the ends justifies the means sort of thing, which I don't agree with, but this person was really sucked into that and believed that very strongly, so believed in the cause, so to speak. Very nice person, married with children, you know, not not a monster. But um, this person also, I was able to get, and you have to understand this is all happening on a subconscious level. So the guard himself was probably never even aware that any of this was happening that you know mm-hmm. on a conscious level it was all happening on a subconscious level on his end so um so as i was getting this information i asked where are you you know i wanted to know where and he actually gave me the location and i was able to sketch it i was able to get the name of it and it was kind of a funny story because i'm married to a wonderful guy who believes in me often more than i believe in myself so when we were doing the session and I got the name of the location and the, sketched it all out. And the layout was really odd. It had these diagonal lines behind one of the buildings. And the way the buildings 
were set on the ground, you know, like if you were in an aerial shot looking down at the buildings, the way everything was laid out, and there was a water tower, and there were trees, and there were cars parked, and there were these buildings, um, and then these weird diagonal lines behind the buildings. And so I gave the name first to my husband, and we tried to find it on Google Earth, and we couldn't. We couldn't find it. We thought, I just thought, okay, well, maybe I, that's, you know, that's a name. It's a noun. It's suspect. I should just set that aside and not report it. Well, the next day he comes home from work and he says, I found it, I found it. I'm like, what are you talking oh, about? Boy. He said, I found, I found the town. And he, he had this map. And I said, where'd you get the map? He said, well, if you said it, I knew it had to be there. So I went and bought a specialty map with tremendous detail. And I found this location. So then we pulled it up on Google Earth because then we had the latitude and longitude from the map. And there it was exactly laid out, exactly as I had seen it. Um, even with the diagonal lines behind the building and everything, it was exact. That's so amazing. Now, who were you working it. with, Lori, on this? I mean, were you working with the the government, the military, or were you working privately with people? No. How how no. did you get involved this with, with this a, case? This was an unusual case in that we don't normally work with families on missing people because families will normally really be emotional. And they'll go to the investigative officers and they'll make hell for them and make it really tough for the investigative officers who often are like, oh, this is all BS, you know, we don't believe in this crap. Um, often, not always, but often. And so especially if it hasn't been solicited by them, you know, if it's just the family, they tend to not take it seriously and you can do a ton of work and have it end up in a garbage can somewhere. And mm-hmm. so um, when we don't normally work with families for that reason, also the families. I mean, there have been instances where um, somebody has really taken themselves into the path of a criminal endangered themselves using the information from a psychic or a remote viewer because the police wouldn't act on it. So they were like, took it into their own hands to go follow up and that can put them in danger. So our policy is we don't work with families. We only work with investigative officers when they request our help. But in this particular case, I told that to the person who was calling. I ended up on the phone with this person, and it was his father-in-law that had been kidnapped. And, uh, and he, I explained why we don't work with families, and he said, well, in this case, the police are too corrupt, so we have our own investigative team that you'll be working with. And oh. so I thought, okay, you know, I can do that. So I was working with this investigative team. I have never, to my knowledge, done anything for the U.S. government or any other government. Um, mm-hmm. just because I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I've been asked a few times, but I have turned those down. So I usually So what happened? Did you find in- this, this older guy? Every time we gave, this is the one where I said that there was a mole or something, because every time there was one other, uh, actually a former student of mine who is already a really well-known psychic, um, before she ever heard of remote viewing, and she's taken all my courses twice, um, she and I were working on this case together. I mean, I'm not, we didn't work on it, we didn't consult with each other, but she was working in one state, I was working in another state, and we were both sending in our, and correlating information to these investigators. And they were jumping on it, and every time they'd get there, they missed the people by, like, the kidnappers by just a few minutes. And, um, you know, I mean, they even found one of the driver's licenses of one of the kidnappers and everything. So it was definitely exactly as we would explain, but they they didn't ever find him. And it, after a couple of weeks, we became aware that he had died, you know, that he had 
become deceased. They moved him to a place that he just didn't do well, and he tried to fight them off, and mm-hmm. he just was too old, you know, and he ended up dying. So that was a really sad thing. You and I were talking before we got on about how a lot of times missing people cases, we work on them and we can help bring closure to the family, um, you know, if they find things, but they don't often have happy endings, you know, where it's it's rare that you find someone that is alive and well when they're found, you know. Well, so, is it because they, the, by the time you're contacted, a lot of time has gone by? Because what do they say? You need, you know, the first 48 hours are the most critical. And they are. I know, they are. And so if you're not contacted right away, I would imagine you're looking for a body rather than a person. Right. And in this case, we weren't contacted immediately, but um, I think it had been a few weeks already, and they'd already dealt with, you know, ransom notes and that sort of thing. Um, so, but the guy was alive for at least the first couple of months that we were working on it. Um, and it was just really, that was what was so heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking if you're working on something that you can't do anything about, you know, that you, you won't, your only ability is to provide information and then everything else is in the hands of other people, you know, so um, that can be, that can be a difficult thing for a well, lot of Well, here's a question viewers. that just came in from a listener. They wanted to know, did you try to remote view who the mole was? At, I have to confess that at the time, we weren't realizing there was a mole. It wasn't until after they had made numerous attempts and each time they had just escaped that it dawned mm-hmm. on us there must be, you know, we were looking for the location of the kidnap victim. We weren't looking for a mole, you know. So the answer to her question or his question would be no. We didn't remote view that because it didn't even occur to us till after the whole thing was done. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, right. we didn't. But... You know, but there's a lot of ways now what we try to really work with our students on. And you know how you mentioned that when you took that course, it was hard because you didn't have anybody to work with? Yeah, there was nobody One of the things, to work with, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, when I took my first course and came home, I was just like, oh, my God, what do I do? How do I do it? I, You know, I'd taken the course, but I felt very alone in my follow-up. Um, and, you know, of course, Lynn was just, you know, he was just uh, by himself, so it, he, it was hard for him to provide a lot of follow-up. Um, so I became very passionate in my school to provide, like, the best follow-up in, in the industry, you know, that you could find anywhere. And so one of the things that we have is we have a mentoring club. So, like, let's say you're a basic student, you belong to the basic mentoring club, and you, we have a forum, and you get to know all these other students, and we, we do, you know, regular assignments, and then I go over the assignments with everybody online, and, and uh, you know, actually, like, you could turn in your assignment, and I actually am like, okay, Patricia, I'm going to go over your assignment, and then I'll talk to you about what you did, so that you actually get feedback, and, and, uh, and so you don't feel alone anymore. And then we have a coaching program, too, where people can literally sign up for this coaching program and have a one-hour week with a professional remote viewer who just is their dedicated coach and just coaches that's them. Fantastic. We call that the fact. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Now, please tell everybody how they can find you on the Internet and find your courses because you also offer a free course for everybody. So we people do. can actually we go to your website and do the course. That is right. You know, one thing that irritates me is if I sign up for something free and it turns out to be a sales pitch, Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's experienced that, and it's it all had those, haven't we? Mad. 
Yeah, because it makes me mad because it's wasting your time, and time is the most precious commodity we have, the one thing you can't get back. And so I was determined to create a free class that was a true class that people could actually experience, you know, get a taste of what it's like to do CRV, to actually do a CRV session. And so it's called the um, Introduction to Practical Remote Viewing Masterclass. And it's a four-part class. And so, like, let's say you were to sign up for this free class tonight. So sometime tomorrow morning, you know, it says 9 a.m., but, you know, people live all over the world, so who knows when it comes in. But sometime tomorrow morning, you'll get an email with a link, and you watch the first video. And, after, and the first video is like 40 minutes long, and then after the video, there's a, there's a recorded Q&A that we did after each video so that, you know, you get all these answers to lots of questions. People are calling in their questions. And it's four parts, so it goes over four days. It's almost eight hours of training. My goodness. Altogether. What a gift. Yeah, and it's completely, completely free, completely free. There's no gimmick. There's no, you know, hook. At the end of the video, the fourth video, I do let people know how they can learn more if they want, but I'm not a salesperson, you know, so it's just, hey, if you're interested and this resonates with you and you want to go deeper, here's how to do it. That's about all my. That's my whole sales pitch. <laughs> that's great. Now, tell us your website again. It is intuitivespecialist.com with an S at the end of specialist. Intuitivespecialist.com. That's my website. And when you and then you have a special URL that you can give your listeners, and if they want to get on there through the special URL. Uh, they can then sign up for the master class. So it's a free master oh, class, but they can get it. Well, I'll, your URL I'll be posting that then tomorrow. And also, by the way, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, everybody, and Twitter and MeWe. We're on all of those social platforms, mm-hmm. TikTok as well. So, uh, yeah, so I'll be posting that for everybody. And, right. PK, I'll post it on, on your uh Please Facebook do it. I'll also. forward it on for mine. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, so everybody will have an opportunity to do the class if they want for free, and if they want to go further, they'll know how to do that too. So this is great. So, Lori, tell us more about some of your cases, you know, how they came to you and, and then what you found. I mean, it sounds very exciting. It's it's like super super spy detective work <laughs> on steroids. It sounds well, great. I <laughs> the thing that we're realizing with a lot of the students coming to us, like we have CEOs of companies coming to us. We have medical personnel, doctors, uh, different phys- different types of physicians, psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, you know, there's just such a great level of students who come our way, and, and along with, you know, the, the moms and, and the dads and the <laughs> I used to use this a lot when I parented my children. I have, uh, I gave birth to seven kids. I have two wonderful stepdaughters. So we have nine kids. What? Seven and 21 children? grandkids. Oh. Yes. I, they, from my, I used to joke that from my loins, and then somebody at some point said, uh, you don't have loins. Um, I was like, I don't? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seven children, and yeah, then you yes. had two stepchildren, you said? I have, yes, I have two stepdaughters. And uh, they were already adults when I when I married my husband. Well, we've been we've been together now for almost 20 years. And um, and so anyway, so yes, I have wonderful grandchildren, 21 grandkids, and and then we have a new great grandbaby. So I'm a oh great my grandmother. Oh gosh! <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, it's, but, so you're you a golden know, girl too. <laughs> I'm a golden girl too. 
We use CRD to, to help prevent our kids from getting into drugs and to anticipate when they were getting themselves into trouble or getting into danger. And my, my son, one of my, one of my sons who's now 41, he's like, mom, it was really rough growing up with parents who were remote viewers. <laughs> we couldn't get away with anything. Yeah, you know? for sure. Oh, how right, so right. We know. <laughs> Let me ask right. you a question, Lori, about medical yeah. stuff, because you brought up doctors attending your courses. Now, I mean, there's there's a lot to be mined in the medical field, uh, cures to be found. Do you, what do you do when it about medical stuff, about health issues? Are you do you do remote viewing for that? Yes, we do. Um, we have a course that is my all-time favorite course. It's it's the favorite. It was the favorite course that I ever took, and it was also it's the favorite course I love to teach. It's called Medical Applications, and it's coming up actually this month. I'm teaching this course this month, but the the here's the catch: is that we have to have taken basic, intermediate, and advanced remote viewing to take the MedApps course. It's a very highly specialized course and it's a funny thing is I I have students I have a student who has um, she's written a number of books on psychic ability and she graduated from one of the famous psychic universities in California that I I think it's in Berkeley Uh, but anyway she like the Berkeley Psychic Institute or something and Mm -hmm. uh, she's you know she's got all this experience and when she took that course she was just open mouth she was like I have taken so many healing courses and this is so different from anything I've ever taken. She just was flabbergasted by it. And it's a, an amazing set of really great healing tools that have an automatic built-in protection for the healer because, you know, a lot of techniques, the healer can get sick mm-hmm. by working right. with people. So this, this has built-in protections for the person working on someone. And every it's just the... I mean, it's whenever anybody who takes the course is just like, oh my God, this was the most amazing course. And so, um, what we do is we have a number of techniques that we do, and the first tech part of the technique is what we call diagnostics. Now, we're not physicians, so a lot that one that's one thing I love about having physicians take the course because we encourage the students to work with a physician, you know, to work with a, a licensed professional. And a lot of times, you know, there are diagnoses that elude, you know, the best doctors. You know, they just don't know what's happening. And so it's really great if you have, if, you, if you're a doctor and a remote viewer, and you can actually go in and view the situation. I have a son who is a nurse practitioner. And so when I was having a, a situation, now I think it was like 10 years ago, and I, I, it was really bothering me. I kept having this pain, and I didn't know what it was. And so finally, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just going to remote view it. Well, I'm not a doctor, so when I remote viewed it, my job is to describe, not to identify, right, because I don't know what I'm looking at. So I just wrote down all the description, and then I called my son and said, hey, I, I have a situation where I have pain, and I remote viewed it, and here's what it looked like. And I described it to him, and he said, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And then he told me what it was because he knew from my description, you know, he has the medical knowledge, so he was able to tell me what it was based on everything I shared with him. But how wonderful to be able to call up and say, hey, I remote viewed this and not get laughed out of the room, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, you get an answer. 
And if you can identify what it is and if you have a correct diagnosis, you stand a chance of getting the right treatment. Also, yes. And then we have techniques that we can use, and we don't actually heal anyone. What we do is we, can, we use a technique where we can persuade the person to heal themselves. And it's oh, all happens on a, sub, on a yeah, it all happens on a subconscious level. Again, we're dealing, you know, subconscious to subconscious mind when we do this sort of thing. So, it's it's fascinating and it's highly effective, um, and it's it just shows you that we are there's so much more to what who we think we are, what we what we can do. You know, just the amazing uh, ability for us to connect. As humans, with the, and, and human to animal, animal to animal, uh, you know, we have this ability to connect, and we are all connected, like schools of fish, you know, that all swim in right. unison. Now, one of my big loves in the world is the medical mysteries that remain un, unknown, like autoimmune conditions. There are so, there's so much unknown. And yet there's commonalities. Some of these diseases have been named, and whether it's lupus or MS or something else. Have your people or have you ever worked to find what causes something like that and then how it could be cured? Well, yes and no. I have celiac disease, Mm -hmm. which is an autoimmune uh, issue, and... What I discovered about my own celiac disease is that I created it uh, because on some level I wanted that in my life. It sounds crazy because who doesn't want to be able to eat cake, right? And pizza. <laughs> and now I can't. Because, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, of course, now they make, they make gluten-free versions of everything, unfortunately, because they eat all kinds of things. But, um, but it's, you know, it's really it's, – I, I really did – dive deep to find out what it was and why I had it. Um, and I really got that it was something that I sort of created in my life because it was something I needed. We all sign up, I believe, for lessons to learn in the school that we call life. And we sign up for things, you know. So when we experience things, it can be like, wow, um, you know, why did I need this? <laughs> what am I supposed to learn from this? What's, what's the biggest lesson I can take away from this experience? You know, and so it has taught me a lot, and I feel like it's you know something that I carry with me for whatever reason. You know, consciously I think it'd be nice to get rid of this. Um, my mother used to say, "I love you, but this thing you have is such a pain in the ass." <laughs> <laughs> it is too, yeah. But when do you work with people who have something like that, and then do you help them to get rid of it? No, I don't, and I'll tell you why I don't. Um, uh, right now, my business has become really the premier school in the world as far as you know the number of students that we're teaching, the amount of follow-up and, and care that we give students that, that sign up with us and all that sort of thing. We are a teaching business. I mean, that's what my business is all about. It's about teaching people. Like you can, you can give a person food or you can teach them to fish kind of a thing. And so... Teaching has become my all-consuming passion to share this information with as many people as I can before it's my time to leave the planet, you know, because like I said, I feel like it's a vital skill. So I had to make a choice. Am I going to actually sit around and, and help individuals 
or am I going to try to reach as many people as I can and teach them how to do this? And so I had to make that choice, and I, I no longer have time to, to do this sort of thing. How many more people will be involved because of your kindness? I think that's wonderful. Thanks. So, yeah, that's the thing. It, it breaks my heart when, because I get asked probably several times a day, I receive emails asking me for healing. And I do pass a lot of healing things on to, uh, you know, for example, to people that I know. And, and I get letters from people um, asking about, like, a missing pet. And I, there's, I have a student who now has a successful business who helps people find missing pets all the time. And, you know, things like that. So I do sometimes try to refer people as much as possible. But now the, even the emails have become so overwhelming where I'm getting hundreds of emails every day. Um, that, and, and, you know, we've taken on staff. I mean, for years it was just me, and now I have a full staff, you know. So um, we, have, we have four coaches. I have an executive director, and I have a person who does all the public relations and social media for me and an IT team. So, you know, we, I had to take on staff, but that was always my vision because I didn't ever, my husband and I don't need, we're not wealthy, but we can live comfortably. We live very simply and inexpensively. So we, you know, we don't need to have any kind of other income other than the income that we get from his retirement. But this, this is my passion. This is my mission in life. You know, this is why I'm here. And so, you know, everything we make pretty much goes back into the business or into hiring personnel to take better care of the people who come to us. You know, we just, I can't do it all myself. So the more people that I find that are really awesome, I have, I have viewers that have worked with me for many, many years who are now helping other students and have become part of my company. And that just makes me so happy to know that there's really competent people at the helm and <laughs> that are helping me. Um, make sure that our students get the best care that they can possibly get. Well, you're right. a good I teacher to this all put together. Without you, oh. none of it is kudos. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, right. it's it's it, it's something that is very very rewarding. I get letters all the time from people who talk about how learning this has changed their lives so much. How it's brought them comfort. It's given them answers. It's helped them make better choices and, and made decisions that have totally increased their, their livelihood and their health and their, you know, just in so many ways. Um, so those letters make my day. <laughs> those are the ones that really, really make me very, very happy. That's um, great. So anyway, we're, yeah, we're just... Well, now, you also uh, mentioned you, you, don't, you wouldn't want to work with the government, and that makes we understand that. Uh, but tell us more about why and what you think is going on today because they did have this whole program with remote viewing then they acted like they didn't but we all know they still have it <laughs> that is what most people suspect is that they still have it I, I mentioned to you that i was the head of a refugee resettlement program yeah. and mm-hmm. i ran this program i ran this program for eight years and then i was still very very much involved with it for four years after that uh, mainly because they needed a um, grant writer, and so <laughs> I was really good at writing grants. But the um, the thing was that was so fascinating is I when I first got into CRV, which was at the same time I took the job, I mean, they happened simultaneously, I really was in the closet about CRV because I had to represent this organization, which was a nonprofit, and get donations from the community, and I was always representing the nonprofit. So 
CRV is controversial. I didn't want anything to hurt the refugee program. We were helping so many wonderful refugees who face so much adversity and have such an amazing survival ability um, and tenacity and resilience. So I loved the refugees. I didn't want to hurt anything. So I really was under the table about my whole study of CRV. Well, eventually, I mean, stuff would happen all the time at the office. And, um, and you know, it was kind of, it's kind of hard to hide your light under a bushel. And so I, I, was, I was frequently having things happen. I had a, a woman that had just come in from Liberia, and I was doing an orientation because, you, you know, you do an orientation about what it's like to live in the United States and how to get a job and that sort of thing. And right after the orientation, the woman came up and said, I want a divorce and I want you to get me a job at the meatpacking plant. And I said, but you sew. And I had never met this woman, didn't know her from Adam, and she gasped and said, how do you know that? And I, I said, do you sew? And she said, yes, sewing has been my life. I'm a seamstress, and I'm, you know, and I had a sewing business in Liberia, and you know, everything was sewing. And uh, my, one of my people that worked for me, one of my staff was in the room when it happened, and afterwards, you know, she was asking me about what had happened because that sort of thing was beginning to happen a lot. When you study CRV, it just sort of amps up everything. And no, it does so enhance your intuition, right? It does. It definitely does. Um, and so anyway, when I, um, I talked to her about CRV, and she said, oh, and she was from Iraq. She was from Suleimania in Iraq. And she said, oh, yes, Saddam had this too. And this is when Saddam Hussein was still in power. And, uh, and I thought, wow, if Saddam has this, everybody has it. Because we know China has it. We knew Russia has it. We knew the United States had it. But um, and now apparently it seems that every country has some form of, you know, intuitive spying or whatever you want to call it. I met a man who worked with, um, I think it was Papa Doc or Baby Doc in Haiti. And he said they, that, that the leaders of Haiti always have you know, like the like the ancient world leaders had, you know, their oracles that they consulted, the people that they were they called oracles, who were essentially just really good psychics, and yes. they would advise them before they went into battle or anything. And so it's really the same. We haven't changed that much, as, you know, as a species. And every government has to have their their oracle. Um, and so, but why would they, would you I hesitate have, to work with our government? Um. To be honest with you, you know, I don't want to say anything negative about our government in any way. It's just that I feel that there are people who do really well with that. They feel that their patriotism leads them to do sessions for the government. Um, However, you know, if you think about it, what are you remote viewing usually for the government? You're going to view, quote, unquote, the enemy, right? And you're going to give intelligence about another government or another uh, another world leader's plans or intentions. And I'm just not comfortable doing that. I don't feel that that's why I'm on the planet. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't want uh, anything involving war kind of doesn't uh, sit well with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that as as a planet, we should we should all love each other. We should all be connected. You know, people might call me one of those darn liberal tree huggers, but I just don't feel comfortable with war. And more is usually centered around money and the and greed. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's the bottom line, you know. <laughs> Follow the money, right. and so um, and so. I'm just not comfortable taking on any sort of viewing that would 
you know, in some way be involved with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not my, you know, as I said, too, I'm also primarily about teaching. And so even though I've done a ton of professional remote viewing throughout my life and I'm working on a, a, a project right now, um, it's still, you know, it's, I have to be very careful about how much I take on and what I take on because certain things can affect you emotionally as well. Like I spent about two years where I did nothing but missing people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I just worked on missing people cases. And, yes, in some cases they were found, yay, but, um, but you know, generally speaking, it was very draining because the missing people weren't always victims. Often they were criminals running away from the law and that sort of thing. And so you really get to see a lot of negativity depending on the types of remote viewing things you take on. So I found that it's actually a lot more fun and a lot more advantageous for me to work with my students and and do some fascinating things with the students and, and you know, keeping things really light and fun and, you know, just just doing things that are helpful to people. And we've been working a lot more with our students on how to ask the right question and do things for themselves. I'm going to be presenting in September at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, um, with the International Remote Viewing Association and doing like a 90-minute presentation on how to ask the right question because it's not as, as straightforward as one might think. Like, should I get a new job or, you know, should I change jobs? You know, that, and people think, you know, could I, could I use remote viewing to guide me to a new career, to a new location where I should live? And the answer is yes, you definitely can use remote viewing for that. But you have to get to the heart of the problem. You know, you need to get to the, to the crux of what the mm-hmm. issue is. Like, why, why do you want to move? Why do you want a new career? You know, really dig deep to get some of the basic answers out so before you even set up a remote viewing situation. Now, question. You, you also did work on, and this is how I, I learned about you, because you worked with my dear friend, Renee Barnett, on the Lizzie Borden house. And <laughs> Yes, we did. Renee gave you quite a compliment. She said of all the people they had there, which they had, as you know, multiple psychic mediums, et cetera, et cetera, she said your team produced the most interesting results. That was Yeah, that was so funny, too, because as I understand it, Renee had to really fight to get us on that show, which was like a four-day, 24-hour-a-day thing where they had cameras in the Lizzie Borden house and they were interviewing Yeah, they had live, live stream meetings. and people could watch it. But what did you find out about that house and what happened? What did you find out about the murder? It was the murder that we were viewing. And uh, the viewers pretty much unanimously came up. They view, First of all, they were blind to the target. They didn't know what it was. They were advised that there was a death involved so that if they didn't want to do it, some viewers are extra sensitive and might say, oh, if there's death involved, I don't want to remote view that. But um, everyone I offered it to accepted it gladly and said, sure, I'll do it. Because so, I didn't really offer it to anyone that I thought would turn it down. Um, and I can't remember how many viewers we had. I think we had eight viewers work that. And they all came up with the murder. They, they described the murder and the circumstances to a T. I mean, exactly. And I was reading from their sessions on the show. And that's why they were so impressed because I was like, okay, this viewer said this and this viewer said that. But interestingly, um, they got that it was a team, a man and a woman, 
that actually committed the murders and that there was a kind of a, a group of people that were supporting it because according to the viewers, there had been sexual molestation involved. And so it was almost like a retribution um, that there was some retribution and there was also money, you know, a desire for money and a new house. Interestingly, uh, Lizzie Borden and her sister inherited quite a bit of money to be the equivalent in today's dollars of, I think, $8 million wow, in today's money. And they, the first thing they did was buy a new house. And that, right. that's funny because that's what all the viewers said, that that was a big motive was money and a new house and also um, some revenge was also part of it. And that there was definitely um, a male-female team that actually did the act and uh, and that the male was subordinate to the female, like an employee, in, you know, almost like, you know, on the farm or whatever. So, kind of, you know, just Very fascinating. That's what they found. Yeah, yeah, really fascinating. It really and does line me, up with what most people suspect happened. Yeah. And considering that they were totally blind to the target, they were only told the target is an event, describe the target. That's all they were told. So, That's pretty specific you know, information that they came up with. Now, what about aliens? Because I'm asking, because when Lynn was here, he talked quite a bit about that and some of the things that they had done on remote viewing excursions with extraterrestrials. Have you and your teams have any experience with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. In fact, that was a big part of why my whole belief system changed was, you know, because I, prior to that, working as a missionary, we were totally focused on helping people, you know, 100%, like with the basic needs of life and their spiritual lives, right? And so aliens just weren't on the table, you know? <laughs> they just weren't part of my, my thought process at all. And so I was a professional remote viewer, and I was given a target that the, the um, it was actually a paid project, by MUFON. Are you familiar with MUFON? The mutual yes, UFO in fact, network? last week's guest was the Colorado director of, of MUFON. Yes. Well, this was back, uh, this was many years ago, but it was the director of the Wisconsin MUFON that mm-hmm. tas- was the tasker in, in this case. Uh, we call the tasker the person that comes up with the project. And, and, um, and I actually did several projects for them. And I did, you know, in... I had no idea what I was remote viewing, but um, are, are you familiar with the Kinross incident? Have you ever heard of the Kinross incident? No. It, it Have happened, you, PK? It, it happened. Not at all. It happened in the 50s, um, early 50s. I think it was 1953 or 1957, um, where there, uh, there was an Air Force base in Madison, Wisconsin. And on the radar, they picked up this blip, and they you know, were like, oh, we don't know what this blip is. So they sent out a, like an F-18 to go intercept whatever it was, and they watched on the radar as the plane and the blip merged, and then boop, on everything. So they thought they had collided, and they sent out another plane. And that one, I think, disappeared as well. Um, but anyway, they, they, so they didn't know what had happened. You know, they could never find any debris, nothing. They, they never found any evidence of what happened. So I worked a major project on this, and all I was told was the target is an event. Describe the target. That's the only information I was given. And I definitely perceived uh, that this 
you know, this plane crashed into or entered into something else. And then I was seeing them on the bottom of the ocean. I drew the plane, and the, pl- the plane had these really unusual markings on it. And I drew the plane and drew the markings that it had. And, uh, you know, and was seeing all these different things. And then there was a point at which I saw something that I completely didn't understand. And I was inside this um, spacecraft, this, you know, alien spacecraft. And what was interesting was that the captain of this spacecraft, whoever the leader was, um, who was definitely not human, was controlling it with consciousness and his hand over a screen that he just sort of waved over the screen and could get the this vehicle to do different things with barely any effort, you know, other than just what his intention was. And that was, this was back in, gosh, probably, I don't know, 2006 or four or something. So I had never even conceived of, of, of a vehicle being <laughs> controlled through consciousness. That didn't, you know, wasn't part of my thinking process. And as I was you know, experiencing all these really out there things that I had never in my life ever thought about, um, you know, it kind of freaked me out a little. And I was like, whoa, this is, and I remember I called Lynn and I said, this is uh, this thing, I'm, this project I'm working on is kind of challenging the, the limits of my belief system. And he just laughed and said, yeah, yeah, CRV will do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When you saw the alien, what did the alien look like? Um, Tall, thin, um, and uh, with a kind of an oblong-shaped head. Um, And, you know, just, uh, yeah, just kind of a, a very different. I've seen aliens several times in my remote viewing. Um, and oftentimes it's interesting because oftentimes they were tall, long, elongated, white, very white beings. I never saw, I've never ever seen the typical gray that you see on like the Roswell stuff. Right. Usually the the ones that I've seen have been the, what are now, I, I, I've come to learn after viewing them many, many times and not having a clue, I've come to learn that they are called the tall whites. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, just a funny little story, a little side story that your your listeners might enjoy. Um, just a, a couple of months ago, um, my husband and I decided, hey, do, I feel like watching something. You want to watch something? Yeah, let's go watch something. So we sat down and we're kind of browsing through Amazon Prime. And there's this documentary called Walking with the Tall Whites. And my husband's like, oh, let's watch that. And I'm like, okay. So he goes, remember we had dinner with the man who wrote the book Walking with the Tall Whites. We actually had dinner. The man's name, last name is Hall and uh, Charles Hall. And so we had dinner with him in Albuquerque one night with a group of other people. And, um, and then he, we, we bought the book. We read, my husband read the book. I didn't read it, but, um, but anyway, so he's like, let's watch the documentary. So we start to watch the documentary and I start talking about my friend Mel Riley who passed away last year and uh, Mel was very involved in ETs and UFOs, and it was, it was the first remote viewer in the unit. And he, um, he said, you know, you're going to run into these tall whites, and they're going to reveal themselves to you. And so I was talking to my husband about Mel's conversation, and, and we're sitting there, and there's a chair, like a, just a regular dining chair with four legs, about six feet from us, between us and the television. And suddenly that chair just lifted up, kind of tipped over onto two legs gently and then very gently came back onto all four legs with nothing around it. 
you know, nothing to nothing to touch it, nothing to move it. And my husband looks at me and goes, did you see that? And I said, I did. Did you see that? And he said, I did. <laughs> we just kept watching the documentary. And he was like, okay, somebody's here with us as we're talking about the tall whites. <laughs> We tend to have and a lot what of is their, um, what are they doing here? Did you have a sense when you uh, encountered them, and when you talked to Lynn about them, what the tall whites are doing here? My understanding is that they're working with the human governments. Um, there's been a lot of different experiences I've had, not all concerning the tall whites, but. The experiences that I've had, um, I do know that there, I don't know if anybody's ever watched the Alaska Triangle, the, the television show that was done by the Travel Channel, mm-hmm. but um, there's a show called the Alaska Triangle, and uh, they they asked me to, to film an episode, and they flew us to Wales, and I did a session on what lies beneath Mount Hayes, and uh, I did it on television, and it's in episode nine of the show. It was originally the pilot, the show, the one I did was the original pilot of the show, and now it's um, episode nine. And in that, I definitely saw that there are species that are, use a lot of things on our planet that are mined, just like they're mining on the moon, they're mining things on our planet as well, um, and that they find very useful that we aren't even aware of that they're taking, and it's stuff that we probably wouldn't even consider a value. Mm-hmm. And apparently you can mix certain inert things together to create some amazing phenomena as like anti-gravity and things like that. Um, you know, so it's, it's pretty fascinating what they're able to do with things that we as humans don't necessarily even understand yet. Um, you know, we just haven't gotten there yet in our technology. I think that our government is learning very quickly, though, and I do believe that we have been shared a lot of technology that's been given to us and possibly in exchange. I also think that there's um, a tunnel system that's involved um, throughout the planet in order to facilitate some of the mining and some of the Mm -hmm. things that are going on. Now, of course, one thing I like to tell people, though, is this could be all BS, until we have proof. Because I get letters from people all the time who say, for example, I had a dream about X. And, and then they assume because they had a dream about whatever this thing is, that that is truth now. And so I'm always like, well, don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself unless you have a really good track record of accuracy. You can't believe every little imagination that pops into your head or every dream that you have because you, know, you really need to keep data and have a track record. Other, because, I, you know, I see people all the time who really believe any little visual that pops into their heads as, you know, automatically truth. So even well, with things But there's I've so many credible witnesses of so many different types of alien races. I mean, it's, it's not like just one person who's oh, seen yes. the tall whites. It's like there's so much around all of this. So it's Right. I just mean some of the other stuff that I'm sharing Right, but what's disturbing to, I think, everybody right now is the lack of honesty with the latest report that came out, um, the, the tendency oh, yeah. for our, our people, our government, to hedge on what, they really, uh, on what they say versus what they really know. And so people are disgusted with it. I mean, these things have been flying around our skies for thousands of years, we know there are species that live here, underneath the planet, on the planet, 
as you mentioned, some are working with the government, which we find even and more appalling because then what yeah, we're left yeah. with is them, the government hiding things from us and continuing to lie to us. And now they're lying by omission, saying they don't really know what these things are, which we know is below. Yeah, and, and they don't have any proof that they're extraterrestrial and all these things. Exactly. What I meant, though, as far as what it could all be a BS is I got tons of detail. And it, they don't they don't put it on the television show, of course, but I got a lot of information and a lot of detail. And I've done a lot of sessions where I've been given amazing information. And yet, you know, I mean, unless I, and I believe it because I've experienced it firsthand, but I, I would never share that stuff as this is truth and here's the truth I'm going to share with you. This is fact. I'm not going to share something as fact until I have solid proof. But you do have an experience of it. Yeah, so do tell. What kinds of amazing things did you learn? Well, you know, it's really, I had an interesting experience one time that several sessions literally changed my life, several sessions that I've done over time. One of them, um, I was, it was a paid project, and it, was a, it had to do with technology, and I was describing this technology, and it, which is funny because I am so not techie, <laughs> not a techie, techie person at all, which makes it all the more amazing when you can accurately describe a piece of technology. Um, but anyway, the session went really, really well. And then there was a point at which I was doing the session and suddenly it was sort of like, okay, this answers the question. This is what you're spo- you, you give to the customer. But then shortly after that, a ton of information came in and, you know, through the session that was really way over my head scientifically. But I'm married to a scientist. I'm married to a forensic scientist. So wow. um, That's frequently handy. I'll be doing <laughs> – yeah, it is. It, it, we really balance each other out because, um, you know, I lack knowledge in areas that he's very knowledgeable about, but I have knowledge in areas that he is not knowledgeable about. So it's a really great balance. Um, and so – there's been many times where he is monitoring me while I'm doing a session, which is his job is just to sit there and kind of keep the viewer safe, you know, and if the viewer's thirsty or cold or hungry or whatever, his job is just to take care of the viewer and to, and also to note anything that might be going on or whatever. And to occasionally say, Oh, could you, could you draw that for me? Or could you move to that and describe that or whatever? So, you know, not to lead the viewer in any way, but just to kind of provide, some you know additional digging for details. So I was doing this session, and and uh, you know it suddenly got very technical and very scientific, and he was just pretty excited because he understood what I was saying, and I didn't. I had no understanding of what what I was getting and writing down and saying out loud, because we say everything out loud, we write everything down, and uh, and so he was he was very intrigued by it because. It made total sense to him on a scientific level, and it dealt with frequencies and waves and particles and things, you know, uh, vibrations and things that I really, I mean, I never even thought of those words other than very common uses of those words until I started really getting into the depths of remote viewing. And that's one of the things I love about CRV is that it's multi-layered, but one thing that Mel Riley used to say that I agree with so totally is he said, you know, in the unit, when the military unit, he said a lot of people got into it just maybe to make some money. They hoped they could make a lot of money, but those people never became good remote viewers. He said the people who became really world-class remote viewers were the ones who had a spiritual 
reason for wanting to learn this. You know, it wasn't monetary. It wasn't greed. It was like a desire for depth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, and so those are the people. Tell you that we might not know about. I mean, I really want to know if there's something that you learned from them that we haven't heard before. We've heard a lot. (laughs) So I'm looking for something (laughs) new. (laughs) Well, you know, it's um, basically what I have encountered repeatedly is a tremendous concern about the planet. And back, do you remember when all the, um, like, sunspot and the different observatories suddenly got shut down all over the world? Yes. So in in remote viewing that, um, and, and again, this could be just a wild flight of imagination, but I had a really bizarre remote viewing experience in which I was seeing big, massive ships popping in from various dimensions, almost like a big, huge international meeting. But instead of international, it was like intergalactic meeting. And, uh, and they were visible in front of the sun. I mean, they were pulling up, you know, like pulling up and parking in front of the sun. And, um, and so you can see where if that were happening, and you talked about the whole thing about the lack of disclosure and all that, if something like that were really happening, Everybody who had a telescope could see it, right? So, mm-hmm. and so, you know, imagine uh, suddenly shutting down and evacuating a lot of the places all over the world that where where they had big observatories. And so, well, uh, yeah, I really wanted to view why were they shutting down the observatories, and then I had this amazing experience that we that there was an actual galactic intergalactic event that took place, and it comes from the concern of the weirdness that we are experiencing right now in on our planet. I mean, we're in a dangerous situation and it can affect it, it can affect far more than just the people on this planet. So Now there was of, an, an observatory in New Mexico that yes, was we, ju- we were just there 2 days ago. <laughs> and right. there was there was a lot of uh of stuff going on around just that one. There were black helicopters circulating. They cut the sheriff out of everything. Wouldn't tell him what was going on. They yeah. also... And then um, they came up with the cockamamie story about the janitor looking at porn. Right, the, you know. which, yes, which PK <laughs> looked at the numbers of all of that and said, that's baloney, and she was absolutely right about that. But there also was a Belgian tourist who was killed at a trailhead about 35 miles away. And the body was never returned to the relatives, ever. It's been over a year. And so there was a lot of speculation around what was going on at that observatory uh, to have all of that happening. They also said there was a very strange smell. And some of the speculation was that an alien had escaped from an underground facility and had came upon the Belgian tourist and killed him, whether it was accidental or on purpose. But that was the reason for all of the black helicopters, the searching, the evacuation, and cutting the sheriff out of the deal. So I don't know if any of your people had taken a look at that one. Yes, we we didn't know about the Belgian tourist, but uh, we definitely looked. I, I had more than just me. I had a, some professional viewers look at the 
the whole thing. And there, there was definitely a lot more going on than what they were admitting to, I guess you could say, or talking about. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I, I think we're almost out of time, aren't we? It looks like we're almost. Yeah, we at the just end of have like another morning. minute for you to to tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really. I, all I can tell you is that there was a definitely something much bigger than what you're talking about. It wasn't just some alien escaping and killing a tourist. Um, I think there was something far, far, far bigger because it wasn't just. It wasn't just this observatory that's near us that we just visited two days ago where all that happened. It was, uh, it was something that was actually happened worldwide. It affected all the observatories. It wasn't quite to the extent that it affected the one close by where we live, but it was big. It was important. But if anybody that's listening wants to dive in to CRV, I don't recommend looking at aliens right away. I, I recommend learning it like a martial art and using it on things that you have concrete feedback about. So you can really learn your strengths and weaknesses. And then once you get really good at it, then you can start trusting what you get because you have a track record of dependability and accuracy to go back to fall back on. If you can be dependable on targets. Yeah. if If you can be dependable and accurate on targets that exist, that have feedback, then when you do work on targets for which you might not get feedback, you can have a much greater sense of security on the information that you're getting based on your track record. Does that make sense? Terrific. Yes. And Very good. So everybody, if you'd like to take that course that's free, then you will be able to. I'm going to also post a link tomorrow for everybody. You can find it on PK's Facebook page. You'll also find it on our pages and Supernatural Girls, and oh my goodness, thank you so much, Lori Lambert-Williams. This has been a wonderful show with you. Thank you so much. Oh, great. Thank you. thank you guys very much for having me. I love talking with you. It was so much fun. You're going to have to come it. back. I know there's more stories you need to tell us. So until then, and until next week, everybody, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks so, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.